Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Gentlemen, good morning. It's good to be back. Wouldn't be a show of ours unless we had a technical problem with Paul to start with the sound that. on there. You got it quickly, though, so kudos to you on that. Thank good job. Good I, catch. Listen, I love the song. I want to hear it, too. It's a great song. I don't want the, just the people. Why should we be denied our music? It's a good reminder, though, that Paul will be following the YouTube channel and the YouTube chat throughout the show. I found it earlier. I have the if first you want to get in touch with us, if you want to interact, Twitter, Outkick360, hit us up there. Let us know what you want to hear, questions you have comments about anything going on in the show please interact i'm with giving us. us a thumbs up i already like what we're doing perfect good job subscribe while you're there i have oh the, the subscription really already paid there. off uh, so if you subscribe on youtube give us a thumbs up write a review on the podcast if you're catching the show uh, after we go off the air we are live every day at noon eastern right here on outkick.com and across the outkick platform uh, plenty to get to today. John McClay from the Houston Chronicle will join us in roughly 15 minutes. We'll dive into the Deshaun Watson headlines where the Texans quarterback now faces 16 civil lawsuits. Uh, we will get the, the latest from the man in black himself, John McClain, who has covered the league and worked for the Houston Chronicle for 45 years. That's coming up. Also, we will talk NFL draft today. We will each bring uh, a, a tidbit uh, an early representation of what we're watching uh, as we get set for the first round of NFL coverage from an individual prospect perspective. That's coming up in about 45 minutes. Then the Tennessee Power Hour, which includes Isaiah Wilson in the headlines yet again for okay. something he did a few months ago. Um, yes, he was arrested again. Uh, we will have those Spoiler details. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we'll talk uh, a little Preds. We've got some Vanderbilt headlines to hit and much, much more. But a quick reminder, FanDuel.com slash OK360. That's where you can go and check out a great offer this week as we get set for the Sweet 16 coming up this weekend. 30 to 1 odds for new users in Tennessee and across uh, the, the platform of states that allow FanDuel to work within the, the, the state lines. Uh, you go to FanDuel.com slash OK360. 30 to 1 odds, which means you place a $5 bet. You can win $150 on any of those games you like. Check it out, the exclusive offer through FanDuel.com slash OK360. Restrictions apply. Look, I'm not going to say this to everybody, just to you. Put that $5 on the Zags. Boom. That's, a, that's all you, that's what you're going to do? That's the play? Well, I'm not a that's new it? user. Oh, okay. If I, I were got you. a new if, user. If you're the new user, yeah. I would put that $5 on the Zags. We're all in on the Zags right now. By the way, also a reminder, um, the uh, OutKick VIP program right now. We're going to tweet out from OutKick360 where you can follow us and interact. we got a special going on with the OutKick VIP program. In fact, 
Shout out to Katie Robinson, who sent us a message, and for her husband, Cody, on his birthday. The birthday gift was an OutKick a VIP membership for his birthday. So special shout out to Katie shout and Cody, Cody Robinson for that. We appreciate you. It's very easy, very affordable, and we will uh, tweet out that link right now as to where you can sign up with a 30% discount to be an OutKick VIP. Question for you guys out of the gate while we're talking NCAA tournament briefly and giving advice on the Zags who are just going to continue to put up points. I mean, that's going to be the biggest spread, right? I haven't looked at the spread. Yeah, it's double I mean, digits. The it's double thing. digits. There are a couple of double digits, though, I believe. And a half at least. Um, do you think it helps the Cinderella's that they're staying in Indianapolis this week, that they're not going back to their campus, they're not being told how great they are, these towns are not throwing parades as they win two games in the NCAA tournament, that they're within the restrictive area of Indianapolis in the college basketball tournament where it is straight, just straight ball? Or does it not matter at this point because Sweet 16 is Sweet 16? I'll go for I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it hurts. I, I think there's something to taking that juice back to campus, feeding off the the – campus energy the fan base the pep rallies whatever even sliding into some classes where uh it, that can't help but be the the buzz in the lecture hall or the seminar or whatever and then uh packing up and going off to a, another destination um you know from where you went i think that's part of the th the thrill of the whole thing um and that's certainly they're still going to be juiced. I'm not suggesting that's a letdown. Also, they don't know necessarily what they're missing. I mean, some of these Loyola Chicago guys have, have been there before. Some of them have not, right? But um, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't think it's going to have a dramatic effect one way or the other. And I think they're actually missing out on, on part of it. I know there's a high percentage of these teams that have letdowns, so I think collectively we're not rating Loyola Chicago as one of those teams based on its talent uh, and its underseeding and all of those things. See, I think it helps the Cinderella team staying in Indianapolis for this reason. Teams that are more together, have a better culture, have been around each other longer, I think benefit from this bubble atmosphere where you're around your team the whole time, you're going from hotel room to lobby for food to a meeting room to practice somewhere, and you're basically staying indoors the whole time. And typically, why do these Cinderella teams have success? Because they're senior-led teams. They're veteran guys. They're four-year players. They've been around each other for a while. They understand each other. There's a better built-in chemistry and culture with these teams. So I do think that it helps. I don't think it's a huge problem when they go back to campus. It's fun, obviously. You know, it, 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 uh, it sucks for some of these teams. They don't get that campus feel for what they just accomplished and, and to go back. But I think overall, to your question, Hutton, I think it's going to help these teams because those teams that are more together and senior-led are going to be an advantage now. I think also there's a difference between the hyper-focus that you're kind of suggesting, which is no doubt here, and the potential to feel claustrophobic which we heard some indications of last week where the food variety and the inability to even go outside and get some fresh air doesn't exist. Well, I need to clarify, too, when I say the Cinderella's, it's also the teams who haven't been here in a while. Yeah. Arkansas and Alabama, specifically, come to mind for me. 
Arkansas hasn't been in this spot since, what, 97? Right, Chad? it's not about the program. 2004 the for Alabama. And, and, you know, that you could also go back to campus, albeit they're not the Cinderella that we're used to. They're not Oral Roberts. Right. They go back home and, be, and they're told how great they are. It's and they're the winning specific the players, title. not the program. Yeah, and I, I think it can benefit in, in some ways. Now, meanwhile, you know, you, you have the, the teams who have been there and done that. Michigan, Florida State, probably no impact there, coming or going. Right? Zags. Uh, yeah, Gonzaga, uh, Baylor. Who Baylor, Alabama, and Gonzaga, the three best teams in the tournament right now. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious how the bubble effect uh, will, will affect the games coming up this weekend as they wait till Saturday. Well, and it's, it's you look at all these teams, and, you know, first off, the, the better team's going to benefit at all times. But you called it the bubble effect, Hutton. What's bad about this for these teams is they don't get to go back to their campus or go back home until their season's over. So right. you don't get the celebration mode unless you're the national champion. Win mode. Yeah. Right. You don't get that week, you know, three, four days where you go back and then eventually head back to uh, back to the site wherever you're playing and, you know, go into a different city. I mean, there's a lot of things. And, look, it's 2020 and now into 2021. There's a lot of moments that have been robbed from a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches. But this is just another example of not getting the full – NCAA tournament success treatment. Experience. Go somewhere, win two games, go home, celebrate with fellow students, and then go to another city and experience some of that city and practice and get ready to play games in that city. Instead, you're stuck in a hotel in Indianapolis getting ready for games. Um, but, I, look, I, I, you could, we could go back and forth about who benefits and who doesn't. I think it, bottom line is just who handles it better. We saw teams in the first round that didn't handle being away from campus for, some, in some cases, what, 11, 12 days. If you went to a conference tournament, hung around, and then flew to Indianapolis, and we saw the ones that thrived in that environment. And then, we don't know for Virginia. sure how much that was a factor in it Well, or Virginia not. went home and then came, you know, they, had to, they were sent home yeah. and had to go to the tournament and lost. So uh, it, it, I'm probably reaching for, for valid reasons why or why not it's going to benefit one team or the other. Well, it's an ingredient. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm fascinated to see how it plays out and, and how the, the betting public also views, views some of these games with these spreads. I know Gonzaga's a double-digit spread. I know that Arkansas is a 10.5-point favorite over Oral Roberts. I think those are the only double-digit spreads in this tournament But uh, that's left. But, I mean, it, look, we're now – we joked about it, but we love the Cinderella. We love Oral Roberts beating Ohio State. Television ratings typically show, and the game quality typically shows, we don't love Oral Roberts in the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. So this is an opportunity. Abilene Christian. We loved Abilene Christian the first round against Texas, and they got blown out against UCLA in the second round. So how do these Cinderella teams, I would even put uh, an Oregon State into that mix, even though they're a Power 5 team, look great in their yeah. first two games. They're in the Sweet 16. They get a shot now at Loyola. You know, so kind of two Cinderella teams uh, doing battle. How do those games rate on television? How competitive are those games? These are all things I'm going to be watching in the Sweet 16. That might be my favorite game coming up. And I, I, I hate the, the name recognition, big team draw element of it. Or that's part of why I love the tournament. I can go love that second, uh, th- second weekend matchup. I don't care if it's on True TV. I know how to find it now, especially you have the remote where you just 
you know, say show me college basketball or say the name of the game or say True TV and you're there, it's not as hard to fish as it used to be to find these channels now, as ridiculous as it is that some of these games are on True TV and we're seeing previews to shows that we'll never go back and watch and all of that. Um, but, I, you know, I don't care what the numbers are on that game. If that's the most compelling game and if it turns out to be a compelling game, you know, big names be damned. Also, there's, there's less and less overlap now, so you can watch most of it. Here's what's great about this tournament this year. I think everyone that's not a fan of one of these other schools is probably rooting for Gonzaga and Loyola in the championship game. I think we typically root for the Cinderella early and not late, but I feel like this is a year where Loyola's not as much of a Cinderella, more of a known commodity because of the run to the Final Four a few years ago. But also to have that setup where this is Gonzaga's tournament to lose. If they could get there on one side and then Loyola could go on a run, to me that would be the ideal national championship game. Well, as if it was Gonzaga think, and Loyola Chicago. Also think of all the fans that have been set free from the good teams in this tournament that are out and the good teams that weren't even there. you got Duke fans and Kentucky fans, huge fan bases that have been free from, you know, before the, the selection committee got to work. And now, uh, you know, all these other great schools that are out of the Louisville, tournament. Indiana. It's not just those. Yeah, so right. Blue Bloods that Blue have no Bloods shot. like crazy. And then all of these top teams that are knocked out in the first week. Fans are available to, to be had. You know, make your bet or not. And then, you know, jump on board. What has been the reaction for Houston Texans fans with all of the allegations surrounding their quarterback, Deshaun Watson? And internally, what are the Texans saying about it? John McClain joins us next on Outkick 360 to discuss. Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Subscribe on YouTube. Share the video on Facebook if you're watching that way. Give us a follow on Twitter and retweet the content at Outkick360. Our next guest, John McClain, who is no stranger to our previous program, our previous station, and uh, we're thrilled to have him on the, the Outkick Network and Outkick360 for the very first time. A lot to discuss with a man who has worked for the Houston Chronicle for 45 years, and he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his great work covering the league. John, hope you're doing well. I am, guys. Thank you. Congratulations on your new gig. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. What 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 started as one accusation against Deshaun Watson now reads as 16 civil lawsuits filed. What has been the reaction in Houston in particular from the fan base, from the general public surrounding the organization and surrounding their star quarterback? Everybody's shocked, as you can imagine. It's almost numbing right now considering there are 16 watson's attorney rusty harden who's one of the top attorneys in the country he's recognized for representing superstar professional athletes he weighed in yesterday with uh, a statement and then an affidavit from watson's marketing manager that that uh, one of the accusers tried to blackmail him and then Tony Busby represents the 16 women, and he says there will be more. Um, he has been incredibly outspoken, and he's been prominent on, on uh, social media every day. So it's a huge controversy. 
And what it all means is the Texans were planning to trade Watson. They had multiple teams interested. They were going to try to trade him by the start of the draft. They were hoping to get three ones, two twos, and a starting defensive player, pass rusher, or a cornerback. But all that's out the window because there's no way any of this will be resolved by the start of the draft on April 29th. And Watson can be suspended. You know, he could be put on the commissioner's exempt list if this goes into regular season. But, you know, it's it's terrible for the women. They deserve to be heard. But Watson is innocent until proven guilty. The NFL is investigating. No one has to cooperate with them. They don't have subpoena power. But Busby said all of his clients would cooperate. And what needs to happen, Watson needs to get in there and make this go away. It cost him a lot of money, but he's got to reach settlements with the women. So before they talk to the NFL, and there's a good chance he'll be suspended anyway, no matter who he's playing with, because you don't have to be, um, you, you don't have to have criminal charges against you. You can have cases dropped, but there's the personal conduct penalty. And there's a part of that about bad judgment. And what we know he's guilty of is bad judgment. So I would expect at some point next season that Watson would be serving a suspension. Like this, John, seemed to me typically go from criminal then to civil. So it feels a little bit backwards that it's all civil. We know Busby turned over some uh, evidence and, and descriptions of what is alleged to have happened to Houston authorities. What's your sense of the possibility of criminal charges? Uh, uh, understanding is that Houston authorities haven't commented on what they received. Any sense of a timetable there? And, and what do you believe the likelihood is that criminal charges are going to be part of this? Well, first, I don't have a clue. Nobody has a clue. Tony Busby said he was going to do that. I don't think he's done it yet. He's hoping they'll bring criminal charges. He's hoping that the district attorney will impanel a grand jury. Just because he's hoping doesn't mean they will. If they don't, it doesn't mean they don't think he's guilty. It means they don't think they could prove their case. But in this instance, you have 16 women. They don't know each other. They're from different parts of the country. What began is one woman wanting $30,000 to make it go away, according to his attorney, Rusty Harden, has mushroomed into 16 with the threat of more by Tony Busby. We have two Houston heavyweight attorneys, Tony Busby and Rusty Harden, going at it for the court of public opinion. And right now, Busby is winning. But uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, the NFL has to investigate. They still haven't finished with Antonio Brown's investigation from 2019. They took a year to investigate Ezekiel Elliott. No charges were filed, and they suspended him for six games. So uh, the NFL takes a long time for their wheels of justice. They turn very slowly, just like the court of law. And it looks like what Busby wants is a settlement. That's what he wanted initially, according to Rusty Arden. And Busby said last night he's got other things to turn over that have not been disclosed yet to the police that we're waiting for the next uh, salvo to be fired from the, the accuser's side. How hard did you laugh at speculation that the Texans 
were somehow behind this information being leaked and behind these lawsuits Chad, that's when one people of the, first started saying that's that. one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And because number one, they're no longer going to get three ones, two twos, and a and a starting player, even if that's what they had asked for. Nobody would give it. I think somebody would have, because you're talking about a quarterback in the prime of his career, coming off the best season of his career in every statistic. And until this, he seemed like a pillar of the community with charity work and gave his money. He was involved in businesses. Everybody loved Deshaun Watson. He had endorsements. He had a lot of endorsement opportunities. And now, cool. I don't know. But the thing that the Texans were behind it, they're going to, sure, they were going to sabotage their best efforts to rebuild with a new franchise quarterback, multiple high draft choices for what? Watson still says he's not trading, he's not playing for him. And so that makes no sense. I saw people trying to connect dots because Tony Busby and Cal McNair live on the same street. Well, it's the biggest street in Texas, and the homes are like a block long. And maybe Busby's edging the yard, Cal McNair's down on his knee, knees planting azaleas. And they say, hey, Cal, hey, Tony, let's meet on our big white medium here, median, and let's cook up a plan to make Deshaun Watson look bad. And they don't do their own yards and they don't plant their own flowers, I can guarantee you. And so the other thing is, somebody was trying to connect this. And in 2014, when Johnny Manziel came out, Busby's an Aggie from Texas A&M, that he got a suite to the Browns games because he's going to fly and watch Manziel play every game. He got a lot of attention out of it, as most of the things Tony Busby does get attention. And so they said, okay, well, he put up billboards encouraging Mr. McNair to draft uh, Johnny Manziel. And so people are trying to say, well, see, you knew Cal McNair. That wasn't Cal McNair. That was Bob McNair, his late father. Cal McNair didn't live on the street he lives on now until late 2017 after his home was destroyed by Hurricane Harvey. So it is just, it's mind boggling how people are trying to make it a conspiracy theory that that the Texans would would uh, just kill themselves to make Watson look bad, which is ridiculous. Obviously innocent until proven guilty, all of this holds true. But when it's this many women and it's this modus operandi where he's going to uh, Instagram and DMing women to meet up with them, um, it seems like a bit of a habitual thing with, with Deshaun Watson, at least trying to contact masseuses this way. John, you've been in that city for so many years. You've covered this league for so many years. If something's going on, typically you hear about it or someone's saying something about it. Was there any inkling? about this going on with Deshaun Watson from anyone you've talked to around that organization or around him? Well, no, but when it was one-on-one, nobody would know that. This was all Watson. It was all each masseuse. According to the lawsuits, nobody else was involved on Watson's side. This is something he did on his own. Now, he was importing them from Georgia and California, and there's no need because there's like a million masseuses and masseurs in Houston and a lot of them were from Houston, but um, players do things on their own. Teams can't keep up with them once they leave their facility. And you don't hear as much as you used to about players because last year we couldn't be in the facility. We couldn't talk to players. Everything was on Zoom calls. And because they limit 
time with players so much, and a lot of them don't come in the locker room to begin with. You don't get time to just sit around and BS with them and get to know them like you used to. And so I have no idea if new if people knew it. They probably knew that Watson liked massages. Going back to the Oilers in 1980, I've had so many players tell me they spent their own money to bring in masseuses and masseurs to give them deep muscle massages during the week multiple times because it helped them uh, get over the soreness of a game and also helped them uh, get ready for the next game. And teams employ them. So you can get them from the team too, but most players I know get them privately. I've seen players say they've spent over $100,000 a year on uh, personal uh, people to help them recover from games and get ready for the next game, even though the NFL offers it. And it's almost like a part-time job staying healthy. So the fact that Watson had a lot of massages by a lot of people doesn't surprise me. But the accusations sure did. McLean from the Houston Chronicle with us on Outkick 360. John, have you heard from any Texans players in, in regards to coming out and saying anything about Watson? Uh, Will Fuller, former Texans, did his initial news conference with the Miami media on Zoom, and he spoke up for Watson. There's been a couple other players. But because players don't know what happened, that's like I have, I run a, you know, Texas Sports Nation, our sports website, a mailbag every Friday. Those things can be like 300 inches long because ordinarily they were complaining about the coaching and the playing in the front office. And now I've told them I'm not letting people say they know Watson is innocent or guilty because they don't. I've had a lot of former athletes reach out to me and say, oh, he's a nice kid. There's no way he did this. The Texans are trying to make him look bad. No player's ever going to sign there again. And I don't point out 31 have just signed here because they're going to come back and say, well, I mean, good players. And they'd be right about that for the most part. But uh, people are staying quiet because they want to see what happens on this. And even if he pays the settlements and it goes away, eventually he'll put it behind him and he'll play great for somebody. And it'll be like Ben Roethlisberger and Michael Vick It'll, and others, Ezekiel Elliott suspended six games. It'll still be out there. People will remember it, but uh, it won't be talked about. And that's why maybe a team will try to lowball them at some point and say, hey, we'll give you a first-round pick to take the problem off your hands. But I would imagine there would be a huge public outcry if a team did that. But teams make controversial moves all the time. You have that initial outcry and people – go on and on like it's the end of the world, but then eventually they start playing and fans are fans and they're going to be cheering for the player no matter who it is, whether it's Antonio Brown or any of the other guys who've been suspended. Brown just while his he was suspended once, they still haven't concluded the investigation that's been going on over a year. And meanwhile, he won a Super Bowl ring. John, did you believe that the Texans were not going to trade Watson, when they were not fielding calls, they said they were not accepting offers. I'm, I'm going back two weeks now. Or did you always believe that they would be forced into a trade based on Watson sitting out? Here's the way I looked at it, Jonathan. When it first came out the first week of January, right after we had talked to him on his season-ending Zoom call, I was shocked that it came out. Persons close to Watson said he wants to be traded. And I immediately tweeted, I got a better chance of being named the next head coach 
than he does of being traded. And then I learned about how determined he was to get out of here. And so I started thinking, okay, it'll go on for a while, but he never changed his stance according to sources close to Watson. Watson has never said anything. He's never tweeted anything other than three or four cryptic tweets, two involving rap lyrics that I still don't know what he meant, and and things like that. And so for the last few weeks, I've been saying he's got to be traded. The more I heard that to what teams were interested in trading for him, I said they got to do it. What would be the point of him missing the offseason, missing most of the season, losing millions of dollars, and the only way he would come back is right before the trading deadline if they're going to trade him in October or right in December. So his contract of $10.5 million didn't hold to 2022 when he's supposed to make $35 million when that new $156 million extension kicks in. So he would have reported at some point. But why do you want to force a guy who's miserable and doesn't want to be there to come back and play out of for financial reasons? And so I thought they're going to trade him. And after he met with David Cully, the new coach, three weeks ago, and he reiterated and reemphasized he would not play here. He would hold out. He's willing to lose millions to, to get his way. They determined they were going to trade him, but they had to get through free agency before they started listening to these offers from multiple teams. And if you have six teams bidding for a guy, problem is, I mean, it's pretty obvious you're going to get a damn good deal for him. And now, most of those teams are going to have quarterbacks. They're going to get them in this draft. And so there won't be nearly the interest in teams willing to sacrifice, say, three ones, two twos, and a defensive player as there would be uh, going into the draft first day is April 29th. So the only way I see him coming back now is if he has to pay so many millions in settlements, he needs the money. And he might come back first first game of the regular season when they start to get paid weekly and then develop some kind of mysterious injury that won't allow him to play just uh, to be on the roster and get paid. So this is there's a lot of moving parts here. All of them are bad right now. And uh, the Texans are in the predicament. Watson obviously has got a predicament, and I don't see it being worked out anytime soon. This offseason for the Houston Texans. On the field, what's the direction of the organization, John? You mentioned Cully as the new head coach, Casario as their general manager, and Terod Taylor, it would appear, would be their quarterback in September. A lot of one- and two-year contracts this offseason across that roster and free agency. What do you make of their immediate plan, as bad as it might be? I wrote a column for uh, yesterday. Actually, it's in the Chronicle today and on our sports website, Texas Sports Nation, about barring injury to Rod Taylor, to Rod, not Tyrod. Rod Taylor would be the starter. His last two teams, Cleveland and the Los Angeles Chargers, he was supposed to be the starter, and he got hurt early in the season and was replaced by Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert. Now, I thought when they signed Taylor, I said immediately, Texas is going to get a franchise quarterback. That's what happens when you get him. But I don't believe that anymore. And when he started three seasons for Buffalo, he did really well. He had a winning record, helped him go to the playoffs in 2017. David Culley was his quarterback coach. And the reason they wanted him here is Culley coached him then. Nick Casario was a personnel director at New England, watched him play six games in those three seasons against the Patriots. And their new quarterback coach, Pep Hamilton, was his quarterback coach last year. 
And if you watch Hard Knocks last year, you saw how much Anthony Lynn and the coaches liked Taylor and respected him. And then, of course, they said he was the starter going into the season. He started one game, and the rest is Chargers history. Uh, Nick Casario has made 31. He has made, let's see, with trades and free agent signings, he has made 31 moves counting players on his roster. He's now made more than 40. And I've never seen a team do that. Has so many free agents. 26 are signed to one-year deals. The only one signed to more than a two-year deal was a punter. So a lot of these guys won't be on 53-man roster. A lot of them won't be around this time next year. But some of them may have played well enough to get a new contract when the cap goes up. But what they have done is they've had a lot of competition. I could see them having 10 or 11 new starters. Not a lot on offense, but a bunch on defense. And uh, But I still think they would compete for the first pick in the draft. And as I've told people here, if you're going to be bad, be all the way bad. The last two times they needed a quarterback, and they had the first pick in 06. They took Mario Williams. And, uh, and then in 2014, they took Jadavion Clowney. And right now, next year, there's no Trevor Lawrence that we all see is sure to be the first overall pick. That's why it was important that they get that franchise quarterback this year. But I don't see them being able to do that because of Watson's uh, situation with the lawsuit. Well, I'm down, John. You've been kind of uh, mystified. I don't know if that's quite the right word at all. The attention Jack Easterby was getting from national media and, and the like. Um, what kind of presence does he have in that front office now? Um, is is he a, a, a bigger force now? And, and do you think he's uh, a big issue, a, a medium issue, or, or not an issue there as, as things go forward with the new GM and a new coach? First of all, Jack used to be came here in 2019 when uh, from New England. And he was uh, vice president of player development. Nobody really knew what that role was. But he got in good with the McNair family that owns the team, and Bill O'Brien, who was the coach. Two months later, the GM, Brian Gain, was fired. Even though Bill O'Brien didn't have the title of GM then, he had final say over personnel. Next year, he got the title of GM. He worked closely with Easterby. Easterby was named executive vice president of football operations. And so he had his hands in everything, but he didn't have the authority to make a personnel decision. As all VP of football operations do, they make suggestions just like the personnel staff, coaching staff, scouting staff, and that's what he does. Now, people thought when O'Brien was fired, Easterby should be fired too. This is the first week that I can remember that talk shows or one of the Chronicle columnists has not called for Easterby to be fired. He gets ripped constantly here. And the reason is every bad decision that was equated with Bill O'Brien was equated with Jack Easterby because O'Brien used to say, we make these decisions jointly, even though everybody knew, nobody told Bill O'Brien what to do. And just like Nick Casario was hired from New England, this is the third time the Texans had tried to hire him. They finally got him. He admitted to he's friends with Easterby. You know, they worked together six years in New England and they knew each other personally, but it's in his contract that he has final say over personnel. 
And he, Jamie Roots, the team president, left because he didn't like Easterby getting involved in things on the business side, which was his responsibility since 2002 when they were formulated. And then uh, others have left, but uh, the McNair family, they love Easterby. They believe in him. They think he knows how to win a Super Bowl. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter how many people demand that he be, he be fired. It's not going to happen. So he's here. And the good thing is he doesn't have final say on any personnel because as Bill Belichick told us last year, Jack's not a personnel man. What did you make of Urban Meyer, of all people, being the one to complain about not being able to meet face-to-face with free agents because he can't get a good judge of their character when he can't meet them face-to-face? Well, he sounded like a college recruiter, and he was one of the best in the country everywhere he's been, most recently Ohio State, of course. And now they're having to – at first they were signing them sight unseen. Now you can meet with them. But the initial wave is over, and the Jaguars signed quite a few of them. And I think he was just showing at this point that he was naive about the inner workings of the NFL. The fact he's going to have Trevor Lawrence is going to make him happy for a long time. I've proposed here quite a few times that uh, Nick Casario call Urban Meyer and tell him, say, hey, you retired twice because of health reasons. So it means there's the reason you're not going to be there for the long haul. So instead of watching Trevor Lawrence develop, how would you like to have Deshaun Watson? Well, probably, I'm guessing if that happened, Watson would invoke that no trade clause because I don't see him wanting to go to the Jaguars. Win the first day of free agent spending, do not win the Super Bowl, generally speaking. Uh, New England has not been involved in, in early free agent spending to any large degree. They usually sit back and laugh at those teams. This year, complete turnabout. Uh, they didn't have good draft classes, do big contracts. Uh, their books cleared. They had a lot of money, and they were the most active team out of the gate. Uh, you hot or cold on that? You think they, they're going to build a winner out of what they got? Or are they going to end up like most teams that go crazy at the beginning of free agency? Not unless they get a quarterback. You know, they've won March. In the past, they were only concerned with January and the first weekend and first Sunday in February. But in this case, everybody loves it when their team spends a lot of money in free agency. It's the only time people in Jacksonville and fans of the Jets were able to get fired up was the offseason. Just like there was a stretch here with the Oilers when they went six years in a row with losing records, and the highlight of the year was the draft. And we could be headed that way next year with the Texans, not this year because they don't have their first and second round picks again. And so I think it'll it depends. I don't think they're through at quarterback. I think Bill Belichick wants to get one in the draft, whether he trades up to get one of the top five or he – thinks he's going to get somebody in the second round like he did with Jimmy Garoppolo. For some reason, people still think he's going to end up with Garoppolo. And I'm thinking, so what would Kyle Shanahan do in San Francisco for a quarterback? Maybe Shanahan at 12 gets Mac Jones or straight up to get somebody, and then Garoppolo could end up back in New England. But I'm, I'm happy for the fans of teams that spend a lot in free agency and the media because it gives us a lot to write and talk about. But ultimately, it is proven to be a curse, and maybe the Patriots will break the curse. 
follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. We like to throw in a few extra underscores just for fun uh, because you can never get enough in John's Twitter handle. Uh, John, we can't get enough of you on the show. Thank you for being on again. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you back, and let's do this again soon. Terrific as usual. John, Chad, and Paul, thank you guys very much for having me, as always, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks, John. John McClain, Pro Football Hall of Famer, right there with us here on OutKick 360. Coming up, we will go from current league players to future league players. We have thoughts and analysis. We're each going to pick out one prospect for the upcoming draft as we give an early preview of some players we're keeping an eye on. OutKick 360 NFL Draft coverage next on the OutKick Network. One big early thought on NFL draft prospects. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Welcome to OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Glad you're with us wherever you're watching or listening, including Fox Sports Knoxville. Paul, your big takeaway from the past week, we had pro days yesterday for colleges like Alabama, for instance. Devontae Smith at the top of your list. Yes, I'm going to preface this, and people are going to lose the preface and, and kill me for what I say off of the preface. The guy's a spectacular player. He's had spectacular success at the highest level of college ball, and I think he's going to be an impact pro, doubtlessly. Not all Heisman Trophy, Trophy winners do by any means. Guy's a playmaker, and playmakers, you know, High-level playmakers generally come into the league. Sure, they bust, but I expect them to be a playmaker. I'm very concerned with his size. He's 170 pounds, and 170-pound guys in the league break. So uh, he said, I know there are a lot of people bigger than me that have more problems than I do, so I'm not worried at all. He's the second lightest receiver since uh, 1999. Only Hollywood Brown at 166 pounds is lighter. He went 25th in 2019. I think we all have questions about Hollywood Brown's limitations as a player. This guy's different than Hollywood Brown. I'm not saying he's the same, but the last time we saw a very slight guy come into the league, we did so knowing that he was going to be a limited NFL player. Marvin Harrison played in the 170s. So there's a, an incredible outlier, right? A Hall of Fame guy. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, the numbers I've seen, 169. Isaac Bruce, another Hall of Famer, 173. Chad John Johnson tweeted that he played at 170. Um, Flores in Miami said good players are good players. But these guys that I'm listing are massive outliers, right? There are a lot of very light receivers who have tried to come into the league who are not on this list because most receivers are thicker than that. You want them to be, you know, 185 at least, you know, more likely in the 190s, you know. If you could really get what you want, you want them to be 200, right? And you look at some others, Deshaun Jackson, Jackson 5'10", 175, 13 seasons. In his first seven seasons, he missed 10 games. In his last six seasons... And seven seasons is a good career by itself. I'll grant you that. In his last six seasons, he's played 69% of the time, and he was a second-round pick, 49. That's a good player and a good return. But ultimately, guys like that, to me, I worry about health. And I worry about him health. Now, is he going to avoid a lot of hits? 
that would get him hurt because of the kind of player he is? Yes. But is the one hit on a guy like that going to have more impact than on the guy who's 15 or 20 pounds heavier? I worry yes. Well, I, I guess my question would be if you listed Isaac Bruce, Chad Johnson, Marvin Harrison as, you put it, massive outliers, what is it about Devontae Smith that you've seen that doesn't make you think that he's not also a massive outlier could, as a could, player? Could well be. Could well be. But if he's, he's not He's the type a of guy who's the first outlier. pick in a playground game. Oh, absolutely. He's just the best football player regardless of size in any scenario. Absolutely. But if I'm spending a top 10 pick on a guy and he's a 170-pound wide receiver, somewhere in my head, I'm constantly nervous about that. A fantastic football player, explosive, going to make a ton of plays. My God, every time he's hit, I'm going to be scared to death. Extremely savvy. He's a two-year producer for Alabama, not just one. Uh, if you go back to his 2019 season, he was phenomenal then. Uh, the idea would be get him the ball quickly and allow his, uh, allow his versatility to, to work for him. His route running abilities are exceptional. Exceptional, and that sets him apart from the rest of the wide receiver class. That that set him apart from the top players in the college football season and why he won the Heisman Trophy. He is awesome with the route running, and that's why he's going to go extremely high. I don't know if he's the first wide receiver taken. I think Chase second. I think Chase may may end up being that guy second at worst. But uh, he's going to get squared up more frequently in the NFL than he did in college. I'm just saying every time he goes down, if I'm the GM that took him, I'm going to be a little more prayerful than I am for most guys going down. My, my player uh, that I'm keeping an eye on is, is Caleb Farley, one of the top corners in this year's draft out of Virginia Tech. And, and here's why. He's an interesting case study for 2021's draft based on the COVID year and based on his experience. He's a two-year starter for Virginia Tech, and he's great, great player, uh, man-cover guy who is going to fit the NFL perfectly for his size and, and the way he plays, very smooth on the outside, very uh, great anticipation for the position. He was a high school quarterback. He did not play corner until he got to college. His first start his first game at corner came against Florida State, and he had two interceptions. Uh, the, the guy was built for the position. Once he gets some NFL coaching, I think it, the, the, the sky is the, the limit for a guy like Farley. But here's where I have my questions. He did not play in 2020. He, he opted out. So and this will be a storyline for several players in the NFL draft. How will that affect where they're selected versus other players who played and have recent tape, a recency bias there? It's just a talking point for me. Uh, and his pro day is scheduled for this Friday, but he underwent micro disc, uh, he had a, a disc problem in uh, pain in his back, and he's going to be out for six to seven weeks recovering from that too. So he's removed from last year's play due to the COVID opt-out. He recently had back surgery, and while it's not going to keep him out of training camp or out of week one, could it keep him from being the top overall corner in this draft? It is Sertain from Alabama, who played and played well this past season. Is J.C. Horn about to move up the charts? Keep an eye on Caleb Farley because he's elite, but he hasn't played in a while. 
And, and him having surgery now indicates he did something now, right? If he had some maintenance thing that he could have had cleaned up a while ago while he's out for COVID, opted out, he would have had it done earlier, right? He has to have done something lately, which is unfortunate because you're talking about recency bias. So the one thing if you opted out is you want to show at a pro day to get back top of mind mm -hmm. and reset that. If you're unable to do that, I don't see how it doesn't hurt you if, as we often hear GM say, Hut, uh, if two guys are pretty close and you have a, uh, something that could differentiate them. And I think you not playing this season and then you not, me not getting a chance to see you at your pro day, that's a differentiator, I, I think. No matter how much you love the 2019 tape, um, you know, that could cost you a couple drafts. Uh, something to watch with Farley because – uh, he, if he plays and plays like he did the two previous seasons, no he's question, he's player. the top corner. But he's now with he's he's now with J.C. Horn and Sertain Newsom, who I love out of Northwestern. They're all first round caliber guys. He's in this mix. Where do they slot? And with the Titans picking at 22 overall, where where do these guys fall for the 22nd overall pick? Are they within two or three picks? where you can jump up and make a move and have one of these elite Seems talents. Seems like a lot of the projections They're, have at least one of the three guys you're talking about, most often Horn and what I've seen available at 22. Horn's pretty handsy from, from what I've seen. He'll have to be retrained a little bit in that yeah. regard. Farley's got some shades of C.J. Henderson with his style and with his size at, at six foot two. I'm going to go with two SEC guys, no, no surprise of me. Uh, Kyle Pitts, I think, is... Maybe, not maybe, to me he's the most intriguing prospect maybe of the last two or three years in the draft because he is a jumbo do-it-all athlete at six foot six. I would love to see him in a creative offense. I'd love to see him play for Sean Payton or for Andy Reid or for Shanahan in San Francisco to see how they would utilize uh, the big guy from Florida. The other one is a guy that got hurt this past year but maybe the year before was on pace to be a better and bigger prospect than Devontae Smith on his team, and that's Jalen Waddell. But, Paul, you talked about, you know, 170 pounds. This guy's 5'10". You know, he's 5'10", 185, but I think he's an explosive player. If he comes back from that injury uh, that he suffered against Tennessee this past year, comes back well, which he will, then I'm really intrigued by Jalen Waddell and how he's going to be used for a team. I think Pitts... I, I, so many people have Atlanta taking their quarterback of the future. I just don't see that that Matt Ryan is that close to the end. Like, I don't see teams desperately getting the quarterback of the future on the bench when you, especially if you feel like you have talent. And I think Atlanta's got some talent. You have a new coach. Um, I don't think Atlanta's in complete rebuild mode. I think Atlanta is a you know, could be a wild card team if things fall right for Atlanta. If you draft Pitts fourth for Arthur Smith, who's a creative offensive coach, and there's talk of that, the highest drafted tight end ever, you're talking about putting him on a creative offensive team. I think Arthur Smith would fit. He doesn't have the resume of the guys you listed, but the, the projections for Arthur Smith is that he can be that kind of guy. He was that kind of guy as an offensive coordinator for the Titans over the last two years. I would love to see him in Atlanta helping Matt Ryan 
instead of seeing Atlanta draft somebody who's going to sit behind Matt Ryan and not help them win now, I'm I'm quarterback of the future averse. There's no way he got makes a it to nine, though. I just don't see any way that he's there at nine. No, four. For the Falcons. Falcons are four. Oh, well, four, yeah. No? That's, no, they're, they're at nine. I don't think unless the something has, have unless something has changed no, in the trade. I think maybe they have somebody else's pick or something. I, I was stuck on them being at four. I may be wrong, which would be my bad. We'll get drafted four real quick here. right now is the Broncos, yeah, unless bad. I'm seeing something wrong. It's old. But either way, I mean, I, Kyle Pitts is going to be great for someone. I don't see if it's nine. I don't see him lasting that long. Falcons are at four. Jags, Jets, Dolphins, and Falcons are your top four picks. Yeah, Falcons were Bengals worse than round out the top five. Four and twelve. There you go. He'd be great at four for the yeah, Falcons. Yeah. 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 By the way, if you talk, if you talk to Falcons fans about that decision, and I, I've got a lot of family in Atlanta, all Falcons fans, every single one of them, they they want Matt Ryan there. They do not want to draft a quarterback. Yeah, why? They feel like they are ready What's to the win hurry? and win big soon. What's the hurry? And they to get need away help from Matt, from Matt Ryan, Ryan and, and not not getting rid of Matt Ryan and moving you on. You got Julio Jones, you got Calvin Ridley. Very good receivers, right? Julio Jones isn't what he once was, but guy like that can still play. Calvin Ridley is excellent. You add Kyle Pitts to that? I don't know the state of their line specifically. I'm sure they need to, to do things there and a defensive reshaping and all of that. But they've got core star caliber people who are more than satisfactory and Matt Ryan is still Matt Ryan I mean he's he's not an A plus quarterback but he's not a C minus quarterback well if you if you feel like you have an A plus in the draft at four you take him that's the argument on the argument that you're not going to be at four again yeah that's why you take him but I I think they should draft Somebody or you you find a you find a Somebody team who wants you find a team who wants an A plus quarterback and you trade down, which I think is what Chad would saw. Carolina at eight would be the team that would come up to get that quarterback. I think because look after Atlanta at four, Cincinnati at five is fine. Philadelphia I think is is not taking a quarterback. Detroit is Detroit taking a quarterback? Are they riding with Goff? Carolina is helping on getting the quarterback of the future. I would think that's the team that would make a play to come up to four, if not higher. Miami's three. Are they riding with Tua? Jets are two. It sounds like they're riding with with Darnold. So Carolina could come up higher than that. Atlanta could stay at four. Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour, as hour one is in the books on this Wednesday edition. What is it, day eight, Chad? Day eight. That's right. Day eight. Nailed it, Hutton. Day eight of OutKick 360. A lot to get to in the Tennessee Power Hour, including Isaiah Wilson, and details on the, the latest arrest. Yes, there's, there was another one that we didn't know about. Acid is involved this time. Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Hang with us.